I do not come with a suitcase full of things all ready to go. I depend on the Holy Spirit of God to tell me each time, each evening, what to speak. And so I'm a very much of a, I feel like God often gives me a word, sometimes very last minute. But uh, I, because I'm not a teacher, let's, you'll, you'll know that. Uh, I'm, I, I it just, yeah, I'm not that, I'm just not wired that way, I guess. But you pray, and God has always been faithful. And I'm very looking forward to what he will do this week in my life. First of all, and I hope there's something that can come forth that might be helpful in your lives as well. Open your Bibles, please, Revelation chapter 1. This evening we look at a scripture here. We look at a word. A lot of people are a little bit scared of the book of Revelation, and it crossed my mind that maybe we could have probably spoken out of the book of Revelation the whole week. I don't think we'll do that. We'll do some of it probably tonight and tomorrow morning. Lord willing, we'll speak out of the book of Revelation not sure if we'll do any more of it. But anyway, the book of Revelation is a beautiful book. And it has a lot of things for us. And tonight, I want to just point to the first few verses here and use it as our theme. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what he says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and the signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the word of this prophecy and keep those words, those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. We often look at the book of Revelation and look at it as a book of mystery. But look what it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you walk through the book of Revelation, you will find Christ depicted over and over again. You have the Lamb in chapter 4 or 5 where you have the Lamb as it were slain. You have the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The only other time that shows up is when Jacob is prophesying of that which would come. The, Jew, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah would come when he was talking to his sons and giving him his final blessing. The only other time, and here we have the last book of Revelation, where it refers to Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Over and over again in the book of Revelation, there is the exalting of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God. And so we want to, even this week, we would like to bring to our minds the centrality of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures. I don't know. I don't know exactly what you are thinking tonight. I can't read your minds. But as we begin this series tonight, I want to certainly take this opportunity this week to exalt Jesus. To exalt Jesus. And I'm going to be speaking and preaching very, very simply. That's the way I think. That's the way I'm going to preach. But as I do so, I trust that the Holy Spirit of God is going to minister to your hearts in issues that are not that simple. He will put the word where it needs to go. His spirit will minister in spots that I never could and am not intended to. So we trust his blessing will be here. 
this evening. There's a problem, there's an issue I want to look at. Please, if you will, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I advise you to keep your thumb or finger in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to come back to it here in just a bit. But first, I want to look at verse 6. And then we'll go back to the book of Revelation. And then we're going to bounce back into chapter 4 here for just a little bit. Verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God wants the light to shine out of darkness. And how is he going to do it? Well, he tells us in the next verse, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be seen of God, may be of God, and not of us. How is it that God wants to shine the light of the gospel, but he wants to do it through earthen vessels? Literally, he wants to do it through a clay pot. You and I are breathed. We've been made of the dust. God reached down and he took the dust and he formed the dust, breathed into the nostrils of man. Man became a living soul. You are a clay pot. God says right here in this passage, Paul says, he wants to shine through an earthen vessel. To me, that's tremendous to think about, that God would like to use an earthen vessel such as you and I, through which he can shine the light of the glorious gospel into the world. So the challenge is for you and I to be the kind of vessel a clay pot, this is contradictory, that is transparent. There are things about the scriptures that we don't totally understand, but let me tell you, there needs to be transparency in the life of every believer before our fellow brethren. And if you're not transparent in the world, they're going to know a hypocrite when they see it. They'll smell it as far off as they'll know it. My friends, tonight... God tells us we have this treasure in earthen vessels and the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not us, my friends. Yeah, they might, neighbors and people will say, oh, you people are such good people. Yeah, 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 it doesn't feel good, does it? But I tell you what, we're not that good of people. It's God in us. That's the whole thing. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our heart, in my heart, your heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants of his people. But there's a problem. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. We'll see what the problem is. There's a problem. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angel fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against, fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. 
And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, the whole earth, the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. What's the problem, my friends? There's war. There's war. As God wants the light to shine, Satan does not want the light to shine. There is a war from the time of Genesis chapter 3 until tonight, until the time that Jesus returns. There is war. There is Jesus, the Son of God, who came to bring light and to give light and to give us light. And he wants to enlighten us and he wants to shine through us. But there is Satan who is out there and he's countering and he is trying to blind. In fact, let's just go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what he says here. Verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. My friends, Satan is trying to blind the minds of those in the world. And it is interesting that he says here in the next verse, I'm sorry, verse 2, verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The lost cannot understand the things of the Scripture because they are spiritually deserved. So how are they going to understand it? They're going to understand it many times through the way it is lived out by the people and the individuals that live out and are Christians called to live the light, be the light, shine the light. That's how God wants to do it. It's very interesting. God is taking an earthen vessel and he wants to use you and your ministry and every one of you here, man, woman, whoever you are tonight, brother, sister, you have a ministry. In fact, if you are a part of a church, you have a double ministry. It is your responsibility to support the ministry of the congregation. Every congregation should have a collective ministry. But on top of that, every individual should have a personal ministry. And I believe it's up to you to find that. It's not a problem, not a question if you have it. It's a matter of you finding that ministry. God is giving you a ministry. Do not deny that ministry. Well, let me say something to you. If you're going to live that ministry in the right way, then there is something that's got to happen. You see... How does God reveal himself to us? Can someone tell me tonight? Open to something from here, from you down there. How does God reveal himself to us? Through his word. First thing, first thing that comes, and that's the first thing I want to talk about. Through the word. Now, do you know tonight that how God blinds people? Well, there's a number of ways. He blinds people by keeping them away from the Word. And the right trick for, for us is 
to keep us from getting into the Word. And if he can't do it by making you bad, he'll do it by making you busy. How many times have you said, I was going to read, I was going to spend 15, 30 minutes or whatever it was I was going to spend, but time got away from me. Busy. We need to be busy. Every one of us needs to be busy. If you have a ministry, you're going to be busy. If you have work to do, you're going to be busy. And that's imperative that you understand that and do that. You are busy. You're called to be busy. But my friends, busy with the right things. Busy with the right things. Someone has given this acronym for busy, burden under Satan's yoke. Now, there's others that could be used, but you know, that's something to consider. Satan has a way of bringing things in and making us so busy and so many things that we can be blindsided and put the word back as a secondary thing and it becomes, we don't spend the time in it like we ought to. And when we don't spend the time in like we, like we ought to in the word, that means that we are also not going to be able to understand it, and it's not going to do its job in our heart because we are not quite equipped like we ought to be. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a light unto my path, a light, lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto you. The word, the word. So, so important. But let me ask you a question. This is something that every one of us has to deal with at some time or another. How do you know the Word of God can be trusted? If someone was to ask you, how can you know that the Word of God can be trusted? What would you say? I'm not going to ask you to answer right now. I'm going to give you seven things that I think are key in, a, in, in giving us a definition of why the word can be trusted. This is something that I struggled with in my life. I remember as I was growing up being at home in the yard and laying there looking up at the stars. And often uh, I was thinking through Okay, dad and mom had taught me well, taught me a lot of things. But there was a time when what dad and mom say is not good enough. You've got to make it personal. You've got to make it personal. And until you do, you're on shaky ground. You're really on shaky ground. That is why, okay, you're at Bible school. That is why it is important for every one of us to put our roots down and know what we believe about the scriptures. Why do you believe the scripture is true? How can you know that the scriptures can be trusted? What evidence is there that the Bible is objectively, universally, consistently true for all ages and for all people of all time and the world? How do you know that? Well, let me give you seven things that I think are key. The first, 
is the testimony of internal consistency. The testimony of internal consistency. As you leave through this book, it's a little, it's very different from basically any other book. You have Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and all that, books of Moses. And then you get into where there is about Abraham, and when you get into the stories of the kings and, and the chronicles and all of that, and the story of God's dealings with Israel, and then you have the Psalms and the Proverbs, and you get the prophets and all of that. And those were written not at one time, not during the time when there was Facebook and WhatsApp and email and all of that where they could communicate with one another, written over a span of 1,500 years. 66 different books, 36 writers, addressing the most controversial topics of all time. God, spirituality, truth, and all the other relevant issues of faith and that affect man in his deepest inward being. Yet all that diversity, all that diversity, yet there is a unity. Unity. All there would be those things that people would pull out and try to contest as being controversial and maybe say, oh, that contradicts this, it contradicts that. But when you dig in, you discover it's not a word that contradicts itself. It's just that we don't understand the word when it seems to be contradicting. The challenge is to dig in and find out the agreement that is there because the agreement is there because it was inspired by one author, inspired by one author. So there is the internal testimony of the word that I believe is so, so important for us to relate to and to realize. But that is the testimony that tells us that this word is authenticity, authentic, the authenticity of the word. You can Hang your hat on it if you want to say it that way. Second, the testimony of history. I only have 15 minutes left, so I'm going to have to rip through this. Testimony of history. I'll tell you what. I, I get, I love history. Go with me to the book of Daniel chapter 2. Let's just look at one testimony of history. God here is, he gave a dream to a pagan king, mind you. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. No. Verse 36. This is the dream Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, a dream he had. He can't remember what the dream is, and so he's telling him what he had, what he dreamed. And now he's giving him the interpretation. This is the dream we will. And, and we will tell you the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the Lord God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whatsoever, wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. 
So the king of Babylon was the head of gold. But look what he says in the next verse, the first phrase, just the first phrase of the next verse. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. Let me ask you something. How can an inferior kingdom take over a superior kingdom? Doesn't make any sense, does it? That's not the way things normally work. Superior kingdom is always the one that's on top. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 45 and see what it says in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, I will loose the loins of kings, and to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Think about that. Cyrus, this book, in, this, this word in Isaiah was written 150 years before the fact. Cyrus wasn't even born yet. And Isaiah names the king, Cyrus, Cyrus king of Persia, Darius king of the Medes, they were a, the coalition that overtook Babylon. And then in Daniel chapter 5, you have the story Nebuchadnezzar having his drunken feast. And he was so drunk that his knees were knocking together. That's what it says here. Joints of the kings are going to be loosed. Yeah? And they were trying to figure out how they could get into that city of, of Babylon, which was considered impregnable. Walls so thick they could run a chariot along the top of the wall, four, chair, four horses abreast along the top. Enough food in the city to hold out for 20 years. Euphrates ran through the city. And they had done it in such a way. The, the walls of the city were, when the Euphrates would hit the walls of the city, only enough water could go through that it would not flood the city. The rest of the water, it was built in such a way, the rest of the water as it would hit would go around the outside and act like a moat and protect the city even more. So now how was Darius, the Mede, and Cyrus going to get into the city? So they said, well, okay. We'll go up about a mile up the up river. We're going to try to divert that river. But the problem was, if I understand right, the gates went down through into the river to the bottom, to the riverbed. They were, what, veined or something. So that you couldn't even swim under if you wanted to. But what was the problem? The Bible tells us here in Isaiah chapter 45, the gates are going to be open. 140, 50 years before the fact, God says the gates are going to be open that night. That's exactly what happened. The guards were drunk, as the king was. They were drunk. And they hadn't closed the gates. <laughs> Guess what? So they diverted the river partially so they could go through the riverbed into the city to take over the city. When they got there, the gates were open. They could walk right in. It's recorded in the role of Cyrus. It's all there. God said it. God's word, history, confirms it. Thirdly, the testimony of archaeology. 
I'm not going to go into that a lot, but I will say this, that in the layers of stone, there are testimonies of the flood, the imprints of skeletal sea animals embedded in stone, etc. Seashells at very unlikely places, which would be very record of the flood, etc. And then there is the testimony of science, the testimony of creation. I love creation, and I have um, loved to just look at the stars. I've loved to observe nature, and my take is that if we cannot see God in any other way, take the time to observe creation. Creation speaks, shouts to you of the truth of the Word of God. That is tremendous for me to think about. Creation is that testimony of the authenticity of the Word of God. And then we have the testimony of, how will I say this? Well, I'll include it in the testimony of archaeology. The testimony of the fragments of the Scripture. There are more than 20,000 fragments of the Old and New Testament from dating back to the first century. And probably one of the most interesting ones that comes to me is in 1947, there was a shepherd out on the backside of the desert somewhere, the Dead Sea area, and he was bored stiff. He didn't know what to do with himself, and so he was picking up rocks, and he was pitching them. And there were many caves in that area, and up he'd see these holes for those caves, and so he was trying to hit those holes. And one time when he whomped his stone up through there, I have no idea how many times he tried before he actually made it. That stone went in that cave, went in that hole, and then he heard something that sounded like pottery break. Huh? They went in and checked, found the Dead Sea Scrolls, portions of the scriptures that led to discoveries of copies dating back to the first and the second century of the scriptures. So we have that record. That can be depended on also the truth of the Word of God. Then we have the testimony of relevancy. Read by all manner of people, it has been proved to be relevant by addressing the issues of all men and women who read and hear and believe its truth. God never falls behind the times. This scripture does not need a yearbook to keep it up to date. It doesn't need to be updated all the time. It, does, it just plain dresses the issues of mankind because God, the creator of man, addressed the issues of man in here. So never God, God never falls behind the times, and this word is relevant. Number six, the testimony of a transformed life. I could tell you story after story after story of lives that have been transformed. I'll tell you one or two. When our time in Kenya, we lived in Kenya for 10 years. There's countless stories we could talk about transformed lives there. But there was a man by the name, I don't know how many of you read the book, A Good Different. 
Have you read that book? If you ever if you have a chance, grab that book and read it. Joseph Buzakata and his wife Joyce. He was a drunker, a chronic drunker, one that beat his wife, one that was very, very unkind to her, very, very rough. The time came that man was gloriously saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, there was a relationship between Joyce and Joseph Musicale I loved to watch. There was a time we had a brother's meeting in Kenya, and Joseph was at that brother's meeting. It began to rain, and Joyce came. You know, they had to walk. They, don't have, they didn't go by bus. They were walking to the, our meeting. And Joyce came from where her home was with an umbrella and came to church where the brother's meeting was so that Joseph wouldn't have to walk home in the rain and get wet. So she brought an umbrella from her home, made that special trip all the way to the church so that she and Joseph could huddle under the umbrella and walk home together. Why, the power of a changed life from a wife beater to a good, close relationship of husband and wife. That's a testimony, my friend. And especially in Kenya, it's a testimony. Everywhere it's a testimony. We have that. One more, real quickly. Daudi Tunga. I remember going to his house up on the mountains of Kajula, up the side of the mountain and sitting in his home. And when I got there, I could feel the evil. You could feel the oppression of the satanic powers. You know, he used to be a cattle thief. The kind of man that would go out to to steal the cattle from the neighboring communities, and they would cast the spell through the power of the evil on the community, or those in that community, so that they could go in and steal those cattle, and they wouldn't wake up. They'd wake up, when they, when they woke up, their cattle was long gone. When I walked into that home the first time, I could feel the oppression of evil. But the time came when Jesus got a hold of that man. He was an old man by that time, and I just remember his testimony over and over again. Ahero Yesu. Ahero Yesu. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And when his time came and he died and he needed to be buried, I was there and I preached that funeral service. But I remember something that just grabbed me. His wife fed us, sitting there by the casket, shooing away the flies. But they wouldn't sit on his face. There was a love that had come. The oppression of satanic evil had been removed. This man was transformed. He was a follower of Jesus. And that's the way he was buried, my friends. Tremendous testimony. The power of a changed life. And we could go on and on and on. One more. The testimony of prophecy. We looked at it and hinted about it in the book of Daniel a little bit. But we look at it a little more. Fulfilled prophecy varies the truth, verifies the truthfulness of the word of God and gives us confidence that the future is known by God and we can trust him with it. I don't know who holds tomorrow, the, the songwriter says. I don't know who holds today. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds and my friends, that is in fact the way it is. Revel, uh, it's the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Look what it said. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, say, saying, 
My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, a man executes my counsel from a far country. Ye, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God writes history before it happens. That's prophecy. You look into the scriptures. When has it ever happened that a civilization has been chased out of their land, chased away, totally removed from their land, and hundreds of years later come back to that same land and are established again as a nation, as Israel was? You look into the background of Israel and see what happened. How Israel came back to their homeland after having been gone and dispossessed for so long and yet were able to come back to that same area. Prophesied in the scriptures and it happened. I don't know what you're doing with Israel, Old and New Testament. I don't know if we'll have time to get into that. I'd love to, but I, not tonight. There's a vast difference. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's nation called. The New Testament, there's a people that are the Israel of God today. If you and I are having your eyes only on literal Israel, we're living in the Old Testament. But my friends, there's much more than literal Israel tonight. It, literal Israel has to come to Jesus Christ by the way of the cross just like any other individual. My friends, tonight I want to tell you, the scripture is powerful. It is authentic. You can trust it. And the seven points that I've given you, there are probably others you could pull out. In my mind, those are the seven keys. How can you deny the truth of this scripture? It is the word, it is the truth, is forever settled in heaven. One last scripture, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Verse 29, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Where are you find, going to find Jesus? Where are you going to find direction for your life? How are you going to be the light that God wants you to be? How are you going to be the light to the generation that is around you and the people that meet you that you ought to be to show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ the way you ought to? By living, knowing the book, Living the book, reading the book, and living the book. That's how it's going to be. And it won't work any other way. It won't work any other way. Now, Joseph Musicati, the man I talked to you about, he couldn't read. But he became a powerful evangelist in our Christian Believer Fellowship Church. Powerful preacher. And he couldn't even read. But he knew the word. Others were reading to him, and he was, he was learning, and he had... He had memorized the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart 
that I might not sin against thee. My friends, God honors his word. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Thank you, God, tonight for your goodness, your love, your compassion toward us. And again, we thank you tonight that the word is true, it is relevant for us, it cannot fail, it will never fail, because it is rooted and anchored in you as the author. I pray that you would help us to search it, to know it, to read it, to love it, to memorize it, and to live by it. Bless our time together in this week as we continue to share together. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.